Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Rob. I am so glad to greet with greet you guys tonight. I guess I'm kind of chipper every time. And I think in part that's because I have so much respect and passion for the people that I get to talk to. And I think in this case, you're going to be completely understanding of why I'm so excited about this particular guest. Let me tell you about Lacey Bentley. First of all, let me read a little bio. Lacey is a women's recovery coach and has been in her own love addiction recovery for almost 10 years. She's an Amazon international bestselling author, a mom, a wife, and a professional writer. You can reach Lacey through email at Lacey at herrecoveryroadmap.com, and she'll talk about that more later. Welcome, Lacey. Hello, Rob. So I, I have to tell the people who are listening that we actually have been talking for a while. We're, we're not new to this conversation because Lacey and I are working on a book about pornography and some of the problems that people who struggle with porn have. And when I was looking to turn to someone who could take a really nuanced sort of really overview of what are women struggling with with porn and how can women be struggling with porn and how do they end up struggling with porn and what do they do about it i thought of lacy and i'm so i'm so incredibly grateful to you and i want to say that she wrote a fabulous book for women who struggle with problematic relationships and intimacy and it's called addicted to love what a great topic and and title so lacy welcome i'm glad we're going to write together tell me let's talk about porn what whatever made you want to deal with women in porn I don't know that it was a conscious decision, not going to lie. To some extent, I kind of ended up up here and went, oh, wow, okay, that was quite the right, and here we are, so let's just go with it because it's working. But I did actually in high school, mind you, this was back in the 90s, early 90s. Ooh, way back when, way in the 90s. I'm sorry, I have to make fun of you. That's not that long ago, but okay. <laughs> For us older people, that that just seems like yesterday. But okay, way back in the 90s, please continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, it does feel like way back because I was 13. And this is actually why I love Charlotte Castle so much because she wrote a book, Women, Sex, and Addiction in 1989, that is like one of my Bibles. And... I was like, hey, I started porn in 1989. And so it was very validating to me that Charlotte knew what I was dealing with. However, nowadays, I'm like, I'll go up to people and say, hey, listen, you always talk about the porn addict or the compulsive pornography user as a man. And I got to tell you, that's not really true. And I'm talking PhD therapists who give me a deer in the, the headlights look or like, actually, women don't have porn issues. And I'm like, 
so I'm a dude? Like, what does that even mean if women don't have porn issues? Because I know dozens. And they come in with them and they ask for help. So let's try again. So let me just say, Lacey, there's an inherent bias that women are chaste and pure, that they don't look at objectified sexual content. They want always to have some kind of emotional involvement, which is true for a lot of women, but not all. And there's this idea that women would never really want to spend a lot of time looking at something for pure sexual entertainment unless it has some emotional value or connection. But that's not true for every woman, right? No. And it's kind of like, well, if if we could make any absolute truths out of sexuality, we can make them about anything. And people who've been on the planet much longer than 15 years have started to realize that it's very rare there are absolute truths. Okay. So we got there's no absolute truths. And so women are looking at porn. They've always been looking at porn. It's different now, though, for sure, because of the internet. Well, and sexuality is changing, Rob. Female sexuality is changing. Women are becoming more visual. More like men. Yeah. Well, we live in a visual world. And the pornography industry very intentionally started marketing to women in the 90s. And they may have been doing it before that. I don't know. I only know you know, what I paid attention to. Well, we certainly know that we saw an explosion of softcore porn for women in the early 2000s, starting with Fifty Shades and then Twilight and True Blood, which ladies, if you don't think that's porn, it's porn. Okay. It's porn made for you. And you you're just you just fill in the parts that you wouldn't ordinarily see on TV in your mind, but it's still porn for women. I trust me. Did you know, I have, I have something to tell you, Rob, maybe this will be nice for you. There's actually a term it's not really a new term for those of us who know it, but it, some people think it's new. Mommy porn. And it's been a thing for decades. And that's what Twilight is. That's what Fifty Shades is. It's for stay-at-home moms porn. And that's what we used to have romance novels for. But now I think part of what happened was if you became able to download a porn book and not have to go into a store and go in front of a counter and you know, be embarrassed by buying it, then it becomes a lot easier for a woman to engage in whatever form of sexual interest she might have because she doesn't have to worry about what someone's going to think when she goes in the store to buy it or rent it. That's part of what the internet has done. So first of all, we've established that women look at porn and they look at it for all different reasons. Sometimes they look at it because they're looking with a man. Sometimes they look at it because they're trying to figure out what other women do sexually. Sometimes they're comparing their body for all kinds of reasons. You mostly have started to focus on or you do focus on women who struggle with porn problems. This is a long leap for lots of people, Lacey. I understand, not for me. I mean, I've run women's treatment programs and I understand, but for most people, it's like, okay, women look at porn and then women can have problems with porn. Wow. That's a really, so help us fill us in, like really take some time and help us understand what you're seeing and what you're dealing with out there. Okay. So women are, they're looking at porn, they're watching porn, they're reading it. There's lit porn, uh, literature porn or mommy porn, like we've talked a little bit about. And for some women, it's really not a big deal. It's just not. They feel aroused. They take care of themselves. They go to their partner, whatever. Or they're just like, oh, wow, that felt good. They move on. It's not a big deal. Or they're single and they're really not having any way to pleasure themselves. And it becomes something they use for a period of time until they find something else. Yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. Yep, exactly. But then there are the women, and these are the women I work with, this is the story I identify with where it becomes obsessive. It becomes compulsive. What does that mean? In pr- so give me an example of what compulsive use of porn would look like. Someone who's doing what? 
Okay, so compulsive porn. Let's go back to 1989. Cute little 13-year-old me. The only thing I could think about all week was when I got to go babysit for this family on Friday night where I could access all of the lip porn I, my little heart could ever consume. But you were so little. Yeah, I was. So let me say something about that. So now we're moving on to a third topic. Little girls look at porn. And uh, not unusually, and I don't know your story, Lisa, I'm not going to say it for you, but it, you little boys and little girls look at porn when they've been sexualized at an early age. So either they were abused in some way or they were exposed to explicit porn and sexual content at an early age. And then you'll find that children will start to seek it out. They'll start to look for the porn magazine. Even when they're eight or nine or 10, they're looking for the sexual content because it's become a fascination to them in a way that really they're too young to understand, but there it is. And that's what happens when a child is abused or is overwhelmed with sexual content at an early age. So is that usually the case for the people you're seeing, Lacey, that they have had early exposure? Not always, but there's always been some sort of curiosity. And most women, so I did some research, didn't publish it, but in that research, I had 400 women who responded to my survey and come to find out most of them were shown it by an, a, like a little girlfriend or a cousin or a sister or came across it by accident. It was actually very rare in Gen X. Mind you, this is old data because now everybody has a smoke. Of course, because you'd have to go find a magazine or a video. You didn't just find it on, I mean, you wasn't, you didn't have a computer, so you wouldn't have run into it in this, or you did, it wasn't connected to all of that stuff. Right. So it's important to realize that this world, every other year, we have a completely new world tech-wise information-wise, research-wise, like things just change so fast. And VR is coming. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's pretty intense for the porn user. Mm -hmm. So the women I'm working with, though, they identify as having a problem, having an issue. It bothers them. They can't quit thinking about it. They can't quit ruminating over porn or what they've seen. Do they spend a lot of time looking at it? Yeah, we're talking hours a day. Well, it takes away from the rest of their life. Yeah. So they're not going out and being social or they're sneaking into the bathroom to watch something or just to relieve themselves. Because when I say relieve themselves, we're talking masturbation. Heck, women do it too. Why would they not? It makes no sense to think women wouldn't also be engaged in this stuff. Well, it makes more sense for men to, that you would think a man would have a sexual problem because we tend to have more sexual problems than women. And certainly there are more of us who get in trouble for sexual problems. And women tend to act, sometimes act out sexual problems, but they're often will get depressed or, or harm themselves or have eating problems. It doesn't always come out that way. But porn is a challenging one because I've talked to women who say they were young girls and they just wanted to see what the boys were looking at, or they wanted to understand what sex was, or they wanted to understand what a woman looked like as an adult. And then they got aroused by the porn they were looking at. And then they got into it, even though that wasn't like they didn't go to it for sexual arousal, but they found it there. And then they got kind of obsessed with it. I've heard a, a bunch of those stories. Yeah, me too. It's very common. And so let me ask you, what is the problem? I mean, okay, what's the problem? So I look at porn a couple hours a night. So I'm not dating so much. So maybe I'm not working out. So who? what's a big deal? I mean, lots of people look at porn. Uh, so I'm going to take the other tack. Are you saying that you know, she's a bad person or she doesn't have good morals or she should be more uh, sensitive to women and in a feminist viewpoint and not look at, you know, what are you really saying? What is the problem with the porn for her? Well, for some women, it's not a problem. And the problem comes in when her self 
her feelings of self-efficacy, her feelings of self-worth are deteriorating because of the pornography usage. When she feels like I'm horrible, I can't believe I'm doing this. I hate myself. Well, then why does she do it? I mean, I'm going to be now someone who doesn't understand addiction and say, if she doesn't feel good about it, why doesn't she just say, I don't feel good about this. and I'm not going to do it anymore. That's why we have the word compulsive. And addiction. Yeah. That, I mean, that's okay. what it is. It's I hate this. I don't want to do this. Makes me feel horrible. And I can't stop. So I have to say, let me just say to everyone, I've worked with a lot of male porn addicts because they're, they come in more often. And they often have a tremendous amount of shame because they're the guy who didn't go out and have sex with a person. They're the guy who hasn't gotten laid yet. They're the guy who doesn't have his, you know, he doesn't have his like skills as a dude getting women in his life. All he does is sit around and look at porn. And at 23 or 25, those men hate themselves because they feel like total losers that they can't get themselves out into the world to connect. I would imagine for a woman, it's a whole deeper level of shame when she is experiencing discomfort at what she's looking at. Yeah. And one thing that's important to remember about women, first of all, there is that double layer of shame. So men- Why though? Why is there a double layer of shame for women? I know, I think I know, but I want you to say it. Yeah. It's like, it's like we talked about, I go up and I talk to a PhD who is the head of some great big, huge recovery program. And I say to him, why, like, why do you not address female pornography? And he says to me, cause women don't have problems. And I'm like, and you just- shamed of like double shamed unintentionally, but whatever, and invalidated and told her, well, women don't have problems. So that woman thinks I'm a freak. What is wrong with me? I must be disgusting. So let me jump in for a second, Lisa. You understand that this is the reason why I fight for the word addiction is because so many people go to 12-step programs for recovery and they find a lot of solace, a lot of support and a lot of good direction and a lot of healing there. And if you say that addiction doesn't exist in this area, well, then for a lot of people, that just takes away their hope. That's like saying, well, I guess I'm just stuck with this problem and I'm a bad person, or maybe I'm just, you know, unlovable or whatever, however they perceive their sexual behavior to mean. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. So one of the reasons I think it's really good for us to be having this conversation in front of anyone who listens is that we're trying to de take the shame out of it and the sting out of it and say, you know what, sometimes people don't mean to get hooked on something, but they do. Sometimes people don't even know why. Sometimes something happened to them when they were too young to remember, or it seemed inconsequential, or but it's had great meaning in terms of how it plays out in their sexual lives or what they're doing with porn. So you never know what the meaning of the looking at the porn is until you talk to the individual person. But yeah, women certainly carry a lot more shame because women aren't supposed to look at porn. Women are supposed to be nice. Women don't do that. So if you have a problem with that, you're double bad, right? Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you another, something that breaks my heart that I've encountered so many women who are dealing with this. Women often, at least historically and in the past, got into porn for different reasons, trying to make sense of something that happened to them or because someone was grooming them and showed it to them. 
or because they didn't know anything about their bodies. And women are, we have a suppressive culture sexually anyway, but women are so much more suppressed. They're not supposed to enjoy it. They're not supposed to want it. They're not supposed to seek it. They're supposed to be the defenders of virtue. And I'm like, oh, good grief. Well, I don't know if you've been on Tinder lately, but I think that world is long gone. <laughs> I've never been on Tinder and I have no... <laughs> I'm not suggesting you do, but I'm saying that there's a good 30% of our young women, especially in college campuses, who love Tinder because it gives them the opportunity to hook up and then focus on their studies, just like men always did, as opposed to getting in a relationship in college. So women are loving Tinder, at least by class. Women who are looking to marry, not so much because they feel like they're subjugated and they're forced to have sex because... If they don't, someone else will. Big long story about that. But Lacey, how do you begin to help a woman come to terms with what she's doing and maybe even stop if that's what she wants to do? I assume you just don't wag your finger at her and say, girls, cut that out. (laughs) I do not. Um, If you don't mind, I want to go back to one more thing really quick before we jump to that of a story I'd like to share. So I'm on a college campus. I'm getting a degree in psychology and absolutely loving the experience. I walk into a building. I am feeling confident that day. I'm feeling happy. I'm excited to go to my class. It's a rough class and I'm acing it, feeling pretty on top of the world. I'm walking up the stairs and the teaching assistant, a man, wolf whistles at me. I'm headed into a statistics class and I get sexually objectified. When I am walking, feeling on top of the world, like I'm so smart, I've got this, I'm... Okay, so I'm going to stop and I have a question. I'm going to be a typical jerk male, maybe, and I'm going to throw this out. Why couldn't you say, all right, I'm having a great day and on top of that, somebody thought I was hot. I love that. What makes you turn it into a tragedy? And I'm not saying that it isn't. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, well, and I wouldn't call it a tragedy, but I would say, why can't I just be a strong, confident, intelligent woman without also needing to be attractive, without also being an object for men to look at? It's an interesting concept and and a discussion, because as a gay man, I understand that it isn't just women who have this experience. You know, as a gay man, and I can tell you this, and we need to, I really do want to talk more about porn, but this is all good stuff. You know, I empathize with every woman who goes through Me Too experience, and I would never do that to you. I would go shopping with you. (laughs) I would hear about your problems with your husband or your boyfriend. I would be your bestest friend, and I would never objectify you as your gay male friend. But if I'm sitting, and and I would sit around with my gay male friends, and we'd talk about how pro-feminist we are and how much we support the women in our lives and how we hate how how some heterosexual men treat women. And then, Lacey. A handsome guy goes down the street and all three of us gay men go, whoop, look at the butt on him. Whoa, he's hot. Well, and then we are the same man in a different situation doing the same thing because it isn't about women. It's about how men treat sexuality and how we choose to or have been given permission to express it and exploit it. You're going to be sexually objectified when when you walk on campus because you're human and you're attractive and someone's going to see you and objectify you. But what gives them the right to give a voice to that? is the question that I would have. And I think that's what's really on your mind. How, who gets to decide that they want to put it out there and that I have to respond to it? I love that. And this is one of the reasons I love talking to you is because you bring up that perspective and help me to see a little bit bigger picture, but also that like, you're exactly, exactly making my point here. Why does someone think they have a right to share a thought like that with me? I'm not interested. Keep it to yourself, bro. 
But you know the reason. It's because he's hoping you'll respond and say, oh, I think you're attractive too, and let's go have lunch, you know, or something as if, and here's, so this goes into, maybe this is going to go back to the porn. I'm bringing us slowly back to the porn issue. I have noticed that when people sexed each other, that women in general don't tend to appreciate it when a man sends an image of his penis. But men, for some reason, think, oh my God, she just is going to be so hot when she sees that penis, because men assume that you are going to respond to visual imagery in the same way that we do. And you don't necessarily respond in the same way. You're like, why am I looking at that guy's junk? (laughs) So, and why does he think that's hot? And so there are differences in how we sort of perceive, and this is part of the miscommunication between men and women. You're thinking, why did he send me that? And I'm thinking, she's going to love this, because I'd love it if she sent me a picture of her hoo-ha, but... I don't necessarily think most women necessarily want a picture of your dingling. So there you go. Some of the difference between men and women, right? So Lacey, I really admire your stance on saying that, you know, uh, it's not my job, as you, you know, I agree to say porn is good for everyone. Porn is bad for everyone. I may or may not encourage someone to look at it, but that doesn't mean it's my business to say what's right or wrong for someone else. Don't you run into women who just feel bad about looking at porn because maybe they have religious values that conflict with it, or maybe they were taught that it was a bad thing, but they're actually enjoying it versus women who feel compelled to look at it because they're acting out some kind of broken part of themselves. Because there is a difference, right? There are people who look at things like porn and they say, oh, I'm a bad person. I shouldn't be looking at that. I'm a bad Christian or whatever that is. And we kind of have to say, I think, you know, some people look at porn and it, and it isn't necessarily a reflection of them being a good or bad person or believing in God or being spiritual or any or being a good feminist. So how do you separate out all of those cultural views from how a woman might perceive her viewing porn from her really having a problem? In other words, I'll try it a different way. There are some women I think I've had to say, you know, I'm not sure you're looking at porn is a problem for you, except how you feel about it versus other women who I say, oh, absolutely looking at porn is a problem for you because it's diminishing your life. How do you deal with those two different things in the women that you encounter? First of all, I remind myself that my moral truths are not everyone else's. And the women that I'm working with are women who are bothered by it. And yeah, sometimes they come in and they're bothered by it because it's compulsive and they, they're they seeing very real repercussions. This really is ruining my life. It's all I can think about. It's all I want to do super problematic. And there are other women who are going, I feel horrible. I know I'm sinning. I want to stop. And there's a space where in the work I do, we get to what really matters most to the woman. You're talking about values, values, values. I am not morals, but values. Now I have my, my own moral code and it's not my job to assign mine to her. In fact, not being a licensed therapist, but I still know the rule is We're not supposed to do that anyway. My morality, my religion, my spiritual beliefs are not my coaching clients as beliefs and morality. And so we have to work within that framework. I have a woman who goes to one of my groups whom I have a great deal of respect for. I think she's a fantastic human being who says to me, hey, I just want to not have to do this compulsively. I'd like it to be a once in a while thing. And I'm going, well, if you could go three years, it's not compulsive. If you don't need to leave a conversation, if you're not thinking about it when you're just trying to work or drive down the street, like I'm not going to assign for you, never. I am going to say, are you sure this is what you value and that it's not in conflict with something that matters to you? 
And if she says to me, well, actually, I, I'm really troubled by this, this type of pornography, or whatever. Okay, I think most people would be. And that's fine. Like, so while I, I do not encourage my women to, to continue with pornography usage, I do not encourage them to continue with masturbation, especially if they're in a relationship where they have a partner that they could connect with by teaching and instructing and being open and vulnerable because it can hold them back. So this is no different than working with men, because I would say, you know, if you look at porn once in a while and you're having a really good, intimate, loving relationship with your partner, good on you. But if you are distanced from your partner, if you're not being sexual, if you're comparing your partner to the images you're seeing, then the porn is getting in the way. Or if your partner's upset by the porn, then it's in the way. And I can't tell you that. I, I can only tell you that as you tell me about your life and what you're going through and what me has meaning to you and what is working and what isn't. And then together we can figure out if this works for you or if it doesn't. But no, you're right, Lacey, none of us can say this is right or this is wrong because I think so or because the church says or because or because 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 it's different for every single person. But I have a question for you, Lacey, and, and this is the one thing we haven't really touched on at all. And, and I don't know that you have all the answers. I have some ideas about it. But why do you think that some women struggle with porn versus women who don't? I think a lot of it has to do with her pre-existing, you know, what experience has she, has she had? Is she... So you're talking about trauma? Like if she has emotional trauma or sexual trauma? Yeah, trauma. So trauma for women is a big deal, especially sexual trauma or relationship trauma, something that people with PhDs and who've done a lot more research than me call attachment traumas, which is if dad leaves early or a parent dies or a parent is severely mentally ill or physically ill and they're not able to be there, it impacts the kid, male or female, it impacts them. Like it's so real, this pain, these losses, this inability for parents to nurture. And then what's the child supposed to do with that? Well, I know what they do. They turn it into, I guess I wasn't worth loving. Or I guess I need to perform to be loved. Or I guess I need to be intensely stimulated and spaced out to feel okay like with porn. They find ways to make themselves feel better. And let's talk about women and their value. Okay, well, this must be my value. My sexuality, my attractiveness must be my value. And if that's all I have, well, okay. And think about that young girl who just isn't getting her needs met in her family of origin, and she's just looking as every child does for attention, for validation. Guess who's going to be the first kid to be molested? It is always the needful, vulnerable child in a family who's not getting their needs met, who's looking around at any adult who will pay attention to them, that the person who's going to harm a child is looking for. So, you know, it's it's kind of a, a painful thing to think about that when we leave our children so vulnerable and feeling unloved, they're going to find something to fill themselves with, but it's going to be something that might cause them great pain the rest of their lives, like the sex, like the drugs, like the alcohol. Lacey Bentley, I love writing with you. I'm really glad to know you. I'm looking forward to us talking about this. I want to give more voice for women. You know, I'm not a woman. You probably noticed that. I really want there to be more voices for women's sexuality and for you to talk about the issues that you struggle with and not just the Me Too stuff, but also your own issues. And I agree with you. I don't think it's a very safe world for women to talk about their sexual issues because it will turn on them. When I do online groups, I have to tell all the men in the group, if a woman makes herself vulnerable and you write her something that's sexual or flirtatious, you're out of my group. So it's harder for women to get that support and be so open like you have been with us, Lacey. So thank you for that. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. And one more time, if people want to find you and read your book or reach out to you, what do they need to do? 
The best way is email me, Lacey, L-A-C-Y, at herrecoveryroadmap.com. I'm going to, for my book, Addicted to Love, I want to go ahead and offer it out there. Give me your email address. I'll shoot you a PDF of my book. So Tammy and I are going to get a link up. Folks, I think it's incredible that Lacey is willing to offer some of her work to you for free, and that doesn't happen very often. So if you want to drop a note to Tammy at SeekingIntegrity.com, we will send you a link to the information and to her book um, and tell us again what it was called and what its focus is so everybody will understand the gift that you're really giving them. It's my full-length book, Addicted to Love. It's an international bestseller. It talks a lot about these issues with women. I touch on porn. It's about the attachment traumas, the pain, the frustrations, the separation in society that we feel as women with men's issues. I really value and admire you. Thank you, Lacey Bentley. And folks, we will talk again soon. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.